Today is part two of our sermon series, Questions Christians Ask, and today we ask the question, where do we find hope in a broken world? Our scripture comes from the final book of the Christian Bible, Revelation. Here, the author paints a picture of a hopeful future with God. So listen for the good news from Revelation 21, beginning at verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. God will dwell with them, and they will be God's people, and God will be with them and will be their God. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. May God bless this reading to our understanding. The Christians in the ancient day had every reason to feel hopeless. The people who followed Jesus in that first century were submerged in a severe crisis. Their society seemed irreparably broken. The book of Revelation is often seen in our culture as a frightening book, but actually it was written as a book of hope for these Christians who were living lives on the brink of despair. John writes this letter to seven churches. John is seated on the island of Patmos where he has been exiled because of his Christian faith, and he writes this as a letter of encouragement to the seven churches of Asia Minor. I asked my colleague, Dr. David May, who teaches New Testament here locally at Central Seminary, what is it that was broken in their lives and in their society? David said that the brokenness for the church members in the time of Revelation is very similar to the brokenness that modern people experience today. He said that those early Christians worried about poverty and mounting debt and despair. For example, when the religious people of that day staged a rebellion against the government in Rome, one of the first things they did was to burn down the public archive of the tax records that were kept in Jerusalem. Do you hear it? They burned the IRS. We know this not from biblical writings, but from secular writings. They were so mad about being overly taxed and trapped in poverty because the systems of the economy that prevailed was a system that kept the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. And they worried about natural disasters. For example, one of the seven churches that receives this letter is in a community that had recently experienced an earthquake. 
They probably didn't have Doctors Without Borders and Week of Compassion and all the international agencies that we have that flood in with the safety net after a terrible earthquake. And so some of those families were just wiped out. I mean, they just couldn't rebuild. And they worried about politics. A Roman historian writes that those in this government used their military might to create a desert, and then they called it peace. Dr. May says, when I look at those towns and cities and villages in Ukraine that have been devastated and bombed out and wiped out, what I think of is this line from the ancient text that says, they created a desert and they called it peace. This week, I stopped by to see a friend of mine who's in his mid-80s and has been dealing with a very serious health challenge. I walked into his home, and I asked him, how are you doing? And I thought he would talk about his health, but instead, he pointed to the television, and he said, I just watched about five minutes of news, and it's so disheartening. He said, we call ourselves the United States, but we're not united. He was worried about politics. He was noticing the brokenness in our sense of national unity and civic wholeness. Two summers ago, Dave and I floated down the Colorado River in southern Utah. It was a fun float and there were some rapids, but what, what I remember most is how the water was muddy. I mean, all the way muddy, all the way down. It was so cloudy. And that's when I began to clue in to the drought in the West that is affecting everything from food production to water supplies for local communities. Farmers in California are worried about the largest freshwater lake in California that is becoming so low that it may not be able to irrigate their crops much longer, their broccoli, their lettuce, the things you and I buy at the grocery store and take for granted. Some feel hopeless because of the shifts in the climate. And personally, every single one of us can name some sort of brokenness that nips at the heels of our sense of hopefulness because of some health issue. Young couples know the brokenness of infertility, and older adults know the epidemic of loneliness. Some suffer the brokenness of substance abuse or addiction, while others know the way that life can be just like that, robbed by cancer or an early onset of dementia. Life can feel utterly broken, and it can feel so impossible to find the hope and in these moments, sometimes we find ourselves simply paralyzed, stuck with fear. It is to us, then, that the book of Revelation is written. Add us on to the list of seven churches that John writes this letter to. Country Club Christian Church in Kansas City, Missouri, in the year 2023, where do we find hope in a broken world? Too often, this book of Revelation has been thought of as a book that was composed to frighten us, to scare us, to spook us, to warn us, you know, shape up or God will leave you behind when the rest of the world is swept up and taken to heaven. In fact, the book says the exact 
opposite. In the end, at the climax of the book, at the crescendo of the entire Bible, what it really says, what we just read, God will come to earth and make a home with us and make all things new right here in our city. It's what my friend Tim Diebel calls God bringing heaven right down here. Instead of seeing our society as hopeless, the book of Revelation sees it as a canvas that God can still transform, that God can renew, that God can make over. Dr. Eugene Boring, who taught New Testament at Texas Christian University, has written extensively about the book of Revelation, and he teaches his students that the themes of Revelation are not radical new ideas. They are themes that have been woven throughout the entire Bible, Old and New Testament. Revelation is one last chance to show us what God's goals are for us, for the world. Revelation reflects not only a religious longing and hope, it reflects much of the hope of the pagan society of the Greek and the Roman world where Christians were living in the first century. So what are these themes? How does this canvas of hope appear in Revelation? I've been reading a book over the last year. Off and on, I pick it up. These beautiful essays by Tolu Quinn. She was the director of the Nashville Food Bank, kind of like Harvesters here in Kansas City, only it was called the Nashville Food Bank. And Tula was a young woman with two small children when she was diagnosed with a terminal illness. She wrote a book about what that illness was like, knowing that she would not live much longer. She said that she was certain that when she died, she would go back to God. That's what happens with humanity. We come from God, we go back to God. And she said that she often prayed that no one will tell her children when she dies that it was God's timing or that everything happens for a reason. No, she said, what I want people to tell my children is that mom went back to God. This is what the book of Revelation says that the God who created us from the very beginning of time will be with us at the very end of time. The home of God is among mortals, it reads. God will wipe away every tear. The God who loved us into being in the Garden of Eden and created us out of the dirt is the God who embraces us at the end of our lives, at the end of all time. A second theme in this hopeful canvas from the book of Revelation is what I call imagination. If you could imagine a world just like ours, only you could give it a complete makeover, what would you picture? What would you change? I picture a city like Kansas City that has no Children's Mercy Hospital because children never get sick enough to need a place like Children's Mercy. I picture a world without Alzheimer's. I picture a world without food banks or soup kitchens or homeless shelters because the only people who ever sleep outside are the ones in tents in the national parks. The book of Revelation says that God will make a world without tears, without pain, without death. Before this world will come into being, you and I must first 
imagine it. We must dream it. We must picture it happening so that we can invest our own energy into creating it. The book of Revelation is set all throughout, from the very first chapter all the way through. It's set in a cosmological sense. They're always talking about the stars. You know, in the ancient day, they didn't have any city lights, any light pollution like you and I live with. So at night, before they went to sleep, they could look up and see the constellation. They lived under the stars. They were bedazzled by the night sky. And some have suggested that what, what was happening in the book of Revelation is that they were taking these pagan zodiac readings of the night sky, which predicted certain things, and they were remaking the constellations with Christian meaning. My friend Dr. May says, that at night they lifted up their heads to see the stars and they saw hope. They saw in the night sky a billboard of hope. What would be on your billboard of hope? Where does your imagine take you as you picture God's fullness and wholeness dwelling here in our own city? After Jimmy Carter lost his bid for re-election for a second term as president, he and his wife, Rosalind, started the Carter Center. One of Jimmy Carter's dreams was to eradicate this planet from the guinea worm disease, a painful parasitic ailment that could just wipe out a family and a community because of its pain and its debilitating presence. In 1986, there were 3.5 million people affected by this disease across 21 countries. And last year, there were maybe 13 cases of this disease. Why? Because cities and nations and healthcare providers and local village leaders came together in a new kind of cooperation to eradicate this disease. They came together in harmony and love. And this is the image painted by the book of Revelation, a city, a polis, a political gathering of folks who work together for the good of the whole society. Uh, when I imagine hope, I imagine a picture of an individual, a solitary person on a mountaintop, but that is not what Revelation paints. Revelation paints it as a crowded city with streets and waters and sewers and health care and food and all of the people working together to build a supportive community of grace and love. I know, I see this in you, in my neighborhood, in my city. I see it every day. You see it too. We all see it, but it is not the image that we see when we watch the news. But the most hopeful thing Revelation proclaims, at, at least for me, is that God will be with us. One of my favorite stories comes from the author Parker Palmer. He was a professor, a Quaker minister, was a great writer, a good leader, and he often suffered from depression. One time, he was dealing with a severe bout of depression, the kind of depression where you can't get out of bed, not just for a day, but for weeks, even for months. And he tells about this time in his life when 
He was so depressed, stuck in bed, and friends would come by, and they would bring maybe some cookies or a book of poetry. They would come by. They would offer to pray with him. They would try to pep him up a little bit, perk him up a little bit, just get him to talk. And he said nothing that anyone did helped. Except there was this one friend, and he would come by on a regular basis, and he would stand at the foot of Parker Palmer's bed and massage his feet. He would not say a word. And Parker Palmer, after he got better, said that it was this act of simply being present, of being with, that was life-saving. That's the promise that God makes in the book of Revelation. See, the home of God is among the people, among humans, with the mortals. God will dwell with them as their God, and they will be God's people, and God will be with them, God with. For me, that is enough. It is enough to give me hope. But what about you? What does it take for you to find hope, to hold on to hope? In his latest book, Jamie Smith offers two illustrations of how Christian people move in and out of hope. He tells about the time when he and his wife were on vacation on the western side of Michigan. They got up and they did, you know, the normal vacation things. They were just slowly enjoying the day, having a cup of coffee, reading the newspaper. And they kept noticing, each of them, that their iPhones and their watches and their iPads kept flipping back and forth. It would say 9 o'clock, and then it would say 8 o'clock, and then it would say 9 o'clock, and it would say 8 o'clock. And they finally realized that because they were right on the edge where they were vacationing between Eastern time zone and Central time zone, that their devices were picking up both sets of signals. And he said, that is how reality is for the Christian people. We live right on the border between the time of brokenness and the time of God's new reality, new heaven, new earth, and we go back and forth between hope and despair. And the other illustration that he offers about hope actually comes from the world of real estate. Bryce and I were talking about home buying this morning, and, and you may remember buying your first home and, and all the kind of things you learn. And the author says that the Christian life is like living in escrow. Remember learning that term escrow when you bought your first house? He said the creator has retained possession, but we are waiting for closing. So what do we do while we wait? I'll close with this. There was a professor at Princeton Seminary who taught pastoral care, the kind of stuff Joe does. And he often told his students about a true story that he had experienced. There was a state mental hospital where in the rear ward of the hospital, they housed the most severely mentally ill patients. The psychiatrist, the nurses, the orderlies, they all knew to avoid the back ward because these patients were the ones who were considered 
hopeless, unsalvageable. I shared this story with my husband, who also used to work at a state mental hospital, and he said, yep, I can see something like this happening. The, the health care providers were advised to invest their time with the patients in the middle ward and the front ward who actually might improve and get better. But there was a local church women's group who decided that part of their service to the community would be to make routine visits to the mental hospital, and no one bothered to tell the church women's group to avoid the most hopeless cases in the rear ward. And so they came, the women from the church, routinely. They brought home-baked cookies and fresh flowers and cute little sayings that they could pass out, and they would offer to pray or sing songs or bring balloons, play games. And not long after the church ladies began visiting, some of the severely mental ill patients in the back ward started improving. In fact, there was such marked improvement among some of them that they moved them up to the middle ward and to the front ward. They responded so well, they got better. What do you suppose the church ladies saw that the others didn't see?